Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. Keep these words that I am commanding you today in your heart. Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 6. Please be seated. What you just heard are the words of the Shema, the heart prayer of the Jewish people. It feels important to hear that passage today because it is so clearly what Jesus is referencing in our gospel today. When he says, this is the greatest and first commandment. I wonder sometimes if it is ever possible as Christians for us to be reminded enough that Jesus was a profoundly observant Jew, that his understanding of the world and of God was entirely shaped by over a thousand years of Jewish traditions, traditions that were constantly changing as people changed, as realities changed, as their homeland was invaded again and again and again by different empires, Assyrians, Babylonians, Persians, Greeks, and in the time of Jesus, Romans. In our own time, the persecution of Jews has persisted around the world, most obviously in the Holocaust where six million people were systematically killed in an attempt to eradicate Jewish people entirely. But that was not the end. Five years ago this past Friday, there was a mass shooting at the Tree of Life Synagogue in Pittsburgh. Since the October 7th terrorist attacks by Hamas, hate crimes against Jewish people in the U.S. have sharply increased that on top of an already significant rise during the previous presidency. And far too many people across the world could not wait even 24 hours before claiming that the Israeli people deserved the violence that was visited on them. For the past two months, our racial justice discussion group has been reading Realizing Beloved Community, a theological book about racial justice and reparations written by our, own, by our House of Bishops and led by our own Bishop, Alan Shin. In our discussion, we lifted up a passage from this book which says, theology is God talk, but it is not God doing the talking. Rather, it is human beings talking about the meaning of God in their lives. In this regard, theology is not abstract speculation. It is not removed from human living and social struggles. October 7th and its aftermath have shifted us all into awakenings that challenge every one of us and have also shaken many of us right to the core of our being. What exactly then 
were we awakened from? We were awakened from the complacency of thinking that the simmering kettle of life in Gaza would not eventually boil over in some form. We were awakened to the short-sightedness of thinking that opportunistic chaos agents like Hamas would not take advantage of that reality. And we were awakened to how quickly the sins of specific groups, Hamas in Gaza or the hegemonist government in Israel, can become conflated with entire peoples. Anyone with an open heart cannot help but be shocked by the conditions that have existed in Gaza for decades and by what is happening there now. Conditions which, put, which both Hamas and Netanyahu's government have enabled. Gaza itself is the size of Manhattan, the Bronx, and Hoboken put together. Two million people live in that small space. 70% of them are under 30. Life in the West Bank is not easy either. Traveling to Bethlehem in 2019, I saw the wall, the checkpoints, and the black water tanks that Palestinians have to keep on their roofs because water only flows into their communities on a few days of the week. Let's not forget that Muslim Americans have also dealt with prejudice and violence here in the U.S., not just after 9-11. Hate crimes against American Muslims have also risen since October 7th. Surely, this is not what the majority of Palestinians and Israelis desire. Surely, this is not what most Jews and Muslims desire. Surely, this is not the only way two people can live side by side. So where do we go now? How do we respond? How does our Christian faith, as St. Anselm said, help us move forward to seek understanding? Jesus answers this question in our passage today. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Ed and I have been preaching for the past many months about cycles of human violence. I think we would be hard-pressed to identify any situation more complicated, nuanced, volatile, and multi-layered than Israel and Palestine. In the past few weeks, I've been talking to people who speak from every angle of this dispute, trying to hold space for those who are raw and grieving. I hope you have too. Have any of you been surprised at hearing retaliatory responses from folks that you usually think of as being level-headed? Have you two been at a loss for where to even begin with loving our neighbor as ourselves 
when it feels like the very last thing anyone wants to do. Please remember, as William Faulkner said, the past is not dead. It isn't even past. These griefs that we are witnessing are lamentations. They are like Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. These are not just individual, but collective and generational griefs. These are not griefs that will be solved quickly by better policies, though we should certainly advocate for those and loudly. These tendernesses will not be healed in the blink of an eye. As Christians, we proclaim and sing that there is a balm in Gilead. But have any of us ever recovered from a profound grief in an instant? Of course not. Grieving takes time. Lamentation takes time. Please, I urge you to keep that reality close in your hearts when you hold space for the many people who are grieving now, those who have lost loved ones, those who have lost homes, those who have been evacuated to places that are also not safe, those who have family members being held hostage, those who are frightened that they are no longer safe in the United States, those who are desperate. Where do we go from here? The second half of our passage also speaks to that question. Jesus continues this dialogue with the Pharisees. He asks them about the Messiah, and the questions he asks may seem random to us, 2,000 years later. If David thus calls him Lord, how can he be his son? Why does Jesus ask this? I think Jesus is prompting us to remember that God is not just holy, H-O-L-Y, but also holy, W-H-O-L-L-Y, other. There is no small irony there, then, that it is Jesus, the one that we know in hindsight, is the personal, imminent human incarnation of God, that it is this Jesus who is reminding his listeners of the unplumbable depths of God, the mystery of God, the untamable wildness of God. Jesus points us to a transcendent God who is more in every way than we humans can fully comprehend, a God who sees all possibilities within each of us, a God who calls to us with longing, drawing us closer with love, a God whose mercy is wider than the sea. This 
God only participates in our cycles of human violence in one way. And that way is by choosing to become in the incarnate person of Jesus, one who will give himself up to be killed by exactly that human violence. And then upended forever by rising again, proclaiming that human violence never did, never does, and never will have the last word. The transcended God calls to us from a larger place, a place only and always about love. And the imminent God chooses to meet us here in the very crux of the violence and the pain. Jesus' incarnational sacrifice is the ultimate ministry of presence. A God who weeps with those who weep, who mourns with those who mourn, who rejoices with those who rejoice. God who is with us as one of us. So here and now, beloveds, our calling as Christians is to continue holding space for our Jewish and our Muslim brothers and sisters to stand up with those who hold on to hope for the future, to speak out about the horrific terrorism of October 7th and the human rights violations that have come after it, to advocate for a future in which Israelis and Palestinians can thrive side by side, and to do so in humility not with a hidden Christian agenda of dominance. Writer Adrian Shirk says, theological hope is a long game. It is not simply longing for Eden and accepting things as they are, but it is rather a mourning that will not be comforted, a longing that is mobilizing, resistant, that leads us to each other and maybe to a garden, even if a long way off. True hope, deep hope, guarantees only continuous shift against oppressive forces, bizarre and extraordinary acts of love, irresolvable questions of resistance and submission. Here and now, in this time, it is our job to embody that hope, to help carry the flame of that hope as we mourn with both Jews and Muslims alike, as we advocate for justice with both Jews and Muslims alike. I'd like to end with a poem by poet Aurora Levens Morales. Its title is Red Sea. We cannot cross until we carry each other, all of us refugees, all of us prophets. No more taking turns on history's wheel, trying to collect old debts no one can pay. The sea 
will not open that way. This time, that country is what we promise each other, our rage pressed cheek to cheek, until tears flood the space between, until there are no enemies left, because this time, no one will be left to drown, and all of us must be chosen. This time, it's all of us or none. Amen.